my imagination. Um, and he went right back to sleep. Some guy says, oh, it's probably just a dream, but what if it were true? And so he got up and he, you know, kind of lazily grabbed a handful of pebbles and put them in his saddlebag and went right back to sleep. But the third guy jumped up and said, wow. He was filled with so much awe and wonder. He thought, gosh, I bet this is true. And so he spent quite a bit of time gathering up as many pebbles and rocks as he could, loading them in his saddlebag until it was overflowing. And then he went back to sleep. The next morning, when all three of them awakened, the second man got up and he nonchalantly went to a saddlebag and opened it up and he said, whoa, look it, they're all rubies. Well, the third man jumped up with great excitement. He ran to a saddlebag and opened up his saddlebag and sure enough, they were overflowing with gems of all different types. And the first man began to weep with sadness that he had not listened to the vision. For many of us, we do not see the brilliance that all of creation is ablaze with the glory of God. As Tehard de Chardin once said, By virtue of the creation, and still more of the incarnation, nothing here below is profane for those who know how to see. I understand that the word profane originally meant porch. Porch is in the sense of in anticipation of entering the building. Is it possible that we could look at the profane reality around us, the stones, if you will, as an entry point at which we're ready to encounter the sacred, the holy, the mystery, God? We recognize that God often appears in the most distressing disguise. For example, our hunger for God doesn't always look or appear spiritual at all. This hunger for God is manifested in numerous ways. For example, through addiction and compulsions of all sorts, through our drive for power, our yearning for food, for sex, our feelings of emptiness, our desire for happiness, all of these in different ways have at their core a hunger for God. When I was a little boy, I loved to watch cartoons and television. And I'll never forget Tom Hatton, who at that time was a cartoonist. And uh, his program dealt with sharing different cartoons, especially Popeye. And I'll forget that he would take a black marker pen, and on the butcher paper behind him, he drew different black squiggly lines. And every week, I always was amazed that Tom would talk to us in TV land, and then he would create something beautiful out of these black squiggly lines. That is the work of God. God creates whatever we give God and makes something beautiful, makes something attractive. At its core, spirituality is a quest for meaning in all aspects of our life. Not just the part that feel holy or feel pure, but especially in the parts that feel so far apart from God. In other words, our life experience influences our spirituality. St. John of God said, our life experience is the language of God. We recognize that how we live our life speaks of what we really believe in. As Richard Rohr says, how you look at, how you do this moment is how you look at and do every moment. This is why the major spiritual questions of life are very simply, who am I? 
And who are you, O God? And how are we connected? These three questions are interlocked and entwined in so many different ways. Perhaps that's why, in the wisdom of St. Francis of Assisi, he would often pray all night long, kneeling in the form of a cross, looking up the stars, praying out, O God, who are you? And who am I? O God, who are you? And who am I? Sister Bridget Haas demonstrates this great interplay between this mystery of self-identity and God-identity. She tells a story of traveling on a bus and the only seat available was next to a homeless man. And as she sat down, he gave her a toothy grin and he reached in his pocket and in his dirty hands he produced a cellophane-wrapped piece of peppermint. He said, here, this is for you, sister. And she... (laughs) 